Hey there, and welcome to Time for Chai, the podcast series where leaders in manufacturing, commodities, risk, supply chain management, and digital technology come to share truly actionable insight based on real-world experiences. I'm your host, Jake Jacobs, Head of Growth at Chai. So today, I'm really pleased to introduce my guest, Nikki Hunt. Nikki is a director of the Food and Drink Federation, where she spearheads the FDF's commercial engagements and membership efforts. Nikki leads the FDF's efforts to represent the interests of over 300 global and growing food and drink manufacturers. Under Nikki's leadership, the FDF has initiated and developed many new products, services, and initiatives, which are you know, really proving valuable to the FDMs out there in the big wide world. Nikki has a really interesting perspective of the food and drink industry, both from her vantage point as a leader in the main industry body, but also given her commercial and business skills. That's one of the reasons why I was so keen to talk to Nikki quite early on. I'm really interested to hear about what Nikki's got to say on strategies, tactics, the ways that food and beverage manufacturers can really work to not just survive COVID-19, but actually thrive moving forward. Welcome, Nikki. It's really great to talk to you. Thank you. So, Nikki, would you like to share with us straight off the bat, you know, what you're seeing right now? What's your view, the view of the FDF uh, of industry in these very unusual times? Well, it's a fairly mixed picture and it's certainly correct to say it's really unusual times. Part of my role is also managing the FDF's uh, COVID incident response team. Not normally somebody in my sort of role would do, but uh, in the previous career, I got a, a background in uh, sort of emergency planning, crisis management, that sort of thing. As FDF, we're very used to dealing with food safety incidents. So we dealt with things such as the CO2 shortage a couple of years ago, which obviously affected, you might remember it affecting beer at a crucial time in the, in the World Cup. And uh, it's also used in bakery product packaging, that sort of thing. Prior to that, the year before, we had problems with fipronol contamination in uh, egg products. And uh, before that, probably a lot of you remember the, the horse mate situation. So as an industry, we're well used to dealing with these sort of, of issues. Probably the difference with this one is it's completely multi-strength, so it's not just affecting food safety. In fact, it has relatively little impact on food safety, but it's affecting every other aspect of food and drink manufacturing, so everything from staffing to borders and trade to financing. So it's pretty much unprecedented from what we're used to, to dealing with. The industry has obviously had some um, so, for example, you may remember as we were going into lockdown, there was all the situation around uh, food shortages in the supermarket caused by yeah. the panic buying. So yeah. members had to adapt very, very quickly to things like production uplifts at the same time as they were seeing staff go off um, with health concerns or because they were, were living with somebody that was, was vulnerable. Some companies have struggled, but I think it's fair to say that the majority of them have adapted pretty well. and They've coped with the pressures and I think the, the sector as a whole, I think, will come through quite strongly from this. Interesting. Really, really interesting kind of opening comments there. Thank you for that. And so what is it the, the, the FDF's doing to support its members through this difficult time? Can you talk about some of the specific things that you're doing as part of the kind of emergency crisis response? Yeah, sure. So the incident team was formed at a very early stage, well before we went into lockdown. And um, that team is uh, myself, obviously, leading the team with uh, Deputy Kate Halliwell, who is much more sort of a scientific brain than, than me, um, but also with colleagues from every area of the FDF's normal policy focus. So, for example, we have a colleague that concentrates very much on the workforce side of things, which has proved absolutely invaluable with dealing with all the issues around uh, furloughing and staff shortages. Uh, we've very successfully managed to negotiate some assistance with online recruitment agencies so that uh, employers could uh, source in 
people that they needed to keep production lines going. Um, we have a colleague who's very focused on international trade and borders. So there have been some isolated problems with, with ports. We were able to cut through a lot of that. So we had sort of 20 or 30 or so colleagues that have got specific areas of expertise that linked in very directly to COVID. Um, as I said, it's unprecedented for us to deal with this, but everybody had to get up to speed really, really quickly. So we've been supporting members. We're dealing with their inquiries, uh, a lot of the questions that they had over things like testing, mm-hmm. uh, key workers. Um, at a very early stage, we managed to, to get a great win by having food and drink workers classified as key workers. Yeah. The reason for that being that then gave us access to childcare for people that needed that once the schools were closed, uh, also to travel, because certainly in the early days of the, the epidemic, the police were stopping a lot of people and questioning why they were going into work. So it was important that our food production guys were able to keep going in. Um, and more likely, of course, testing as well. They're one of the, the groups, the majority of the UK, that have priority over testing. So for us to be able to develop those relationships with government to get the member needs communicated in and to get problems solved, that was pretty invaluable. Throughout the process, we've just been providing a lot of support through daily bulletins and uh, webinars to members because obviously they're struggling to keep their production lines running. There's an awful lot of noise about COVID. There's a lot of information comes out about COVID. And the role of us as a trade association really is to cut through a lot of that and just to make sure that we serve up to them and filter what is absolutely essential for them to know. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, from a chai standpoint, obviously, we've got a lot of interest in the food and drink uh, industry. A lot of the you know companies that we work with initially are in that sector because they've got such exposure to aluminium prices and you know other kind of commodities price volatility. But it's really interesting as an interested observer to note just how well and how rapidly it feels like the FDF has really kind of responded to this situation. I wonder if you could talk to all about, you know, the government level work that you're doing kind of through DEFRA to really represent uh, FDF members. Yeah, sure. We were very fortunate in as much as by the time this started, we'd already spent several years developing really close relationships with government. Mm. So DEFRA is our, like our sponsor department, uh, Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. So they're the ones that we already on an ongoing basis were having a lot of interaction with over things like the EU exit. Um, So we'd already got those good relationships. Um, Certainly talking to other sectors, I don't think they necessarily had those with their ministers and civil service at the time. Um, So we've hugely benefited from that. And we're on pretty much daily calls. Our CEO um, attends a a call pretty much on a daily basis with the DEFRA secretary, regular calls with Bayes. We were one of the consultees on the Safe Working Government guidelines, sorry, Safe Working Guidelines that came out uh, a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. I had a very, very quick window of response to those. So from that point of view, we feel that we've managed to use those relationships to make sure that our members are getting what they needed in terms of information coming out. Mm. Um, But also for government, it was useful for us to be able to feed in some of the intelligence that we were seeing coming through on the ground for the members. So it's worked very well both ways. And I think we're extremely fortunate in having this sort of links in. Mm. Brilliant. Well, I mean, every time I talk to someone at the moment and particularly, you know, for the podcast, obviously the theme of COVID-19 and the virus keeps coming up. And actually in each of these conversations, it's been quite interesting because there are quite clear silver linings to come from each of these conversations. And my hope is that, you know, with yourselves, that's going to only kind of further strengthen the relationship that you've got with government and the ability you've got to really represent your members at national level. So I think that's fantastic in a lot of ways. Um, Can you talk a little bit about 
any of the kind of specific things that members are raising, you know, right now, the kind of the, the big problems that they're, yeah. they're having and the queries <laughs> that they're raising with you? It's, it's a very long list, I've got to be honest. And I think it's, uh, well, what, is it, what we've seen from members largely depends on the sector of yeah. the um, food and drink chain they're in. We largely deal with the manufacturing side. Uh, we have some reach into retail and also into the primary production sort of uh, meat and dairy side of things. It's very difficult to generalise, but I think the, the key pressures have been around uh, staff absenteeism. Certainly when they started, uh, a lot of the factories were seeing around 20% absence, in some cases, uh, rare cases, but up to 50%. That fortunately has really flattened out. They're now tracking sort of between about 8 to 10% absence. Um, and that was difficult for them at a time when there was a huge strain on their production facilities because there was a, that big production uplift that was required in order to to keep the food flowing into the supermarkets so they were dealing with a very sort of difficult set of circumstances at that stage as this has progressed some of the focus has moved away from those early priorities such as workforce furloughing access ppe that sort of thing things like access to ppe do remain an issue because obviously the millers and the the bakers um, will use PPE in the normal course of their work to protect against dust particles as a health and safety requirement. Mm. So we've had to make sure that, you know, whilst there's a general PPE, PPE shortage, that they still got access to their supplies so they don't have to stop operating. And uh, also um, HSC has relaxed some of the um, criteria anyway. Um, so it moved from very practical, how do I do this? Where do I get that sort of questions? Mm. I think businesses are now focusing much more on the long term and what the release from lockdown strategy might look for them. And some of them obviously have been hit by the collapse of the out-of-home sector. Um, yeah. Obviously, they went into lockdown fairly quickly at the moment. Um, the plan is slightly uncertain as to when they will resume. It's not very easy to repurpose food and drink that's destined for the out-of-home sector into food for consumer use. Mm. Quite often, it'll be in bulk catering packs, that sort of thing. You know, you need to be able to cut that down, repackage, that sort of thing. So it's, it's not an easy transition to suddenly move yourself into, into another sector. But I think it's certainly focused uh, minds on making sure their customer base is as broad as possible, that, um, you know, whatever happens, they, they still have access. It's been interesting to see a lot of companies, particularly smaller ones, looking at how they might go down the direct-to-consumer route. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's been a, a big degree of focus on, on some of those channels, um, much smaller delivery services, that sort of thing. So I think it's, it's prompted everybody to look at their supply chain. I think it's also prompted them to look very critically at their finances, which, you know, whether you're a big company or a small company, it's still the same sort of issues. Uh, some of the smaller ones are certainly reporting that they are seeing some cash flow problems with uh, customers being slow to pay, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of them, obviously, there's a government loan scheme, so a lot of them don't really want to take on any more debt than they absolutely have to. So it's moved, you know, the focus has moved from the very tactical day-to-day -day problems of keeping the factory and the production line going and into longer-term considerations for the brand, for the company's future financing and its markets, really. Interesting stuff, really, really interesting. And again, you know, I think from our side, we have had first-hand experience at the more kind of strategic and, I guess, you know, operational level, looking forwards with some of these companies and giving them that kind of confidence and certainty in the future. So, yeah, I mean, really interesting stuff. Hello, I'm Stephen Butler, Chief Commercial Officer at Chai. Here at Chai, we're working hard to try and provide people like yourselves who are involved in the industry with the correct insights and data that will help you make the critical decisions in these uncertain times. If you would like to learn more about our service, please check out our company website, 
chai-uk.com or follow our market updates on LinkedIn. Thank you very much and please enjoy the show. How do you think the FDM is going to change because of this experience moving forward? You said a little bit there about supply chains and smaller FDMs going, you know, kind of direct to consumer. I wonder if you talk about, you know, some of the trends that you see. So I think in terms of the supply chain, in, in some ways, a lot of that work had already been done because of EU exit. So yeah. companies had already been spending the previous couple of years looking very critically at where things were coming from, you know, sort of what the weak links, that sort of thing. So, you know, some of that work, I think, had put them in really good stead for what things might look like in, in the future. In terms of sort of where it might go, it's difficult to be entirely sure, but obviously we've seen quite a change in consumer behaviour, yeah. you know, prompted by people not wanting to stand in supermarket queue. So everyone's moving to, to look at online where they, where they possibly can. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues because I think over the previous four or five years, we've seen customers moving very much away from that one big weekly shop mm. and into smaller convenience store, uh, little and often type buys. Yeah. Obviously, it's flipped back completely the other way. It'll be interesting to see whether that sustains or whether that will you know, revert back once, once lockdowns ease. Possibly it might change some of the consumption patterns as well. So there's been a reliance during the lockdown period on a lot of the long shelf life products. So things like frozen, tinned. So it may be that people have discovered things that they like or stick <laughs> with them. It's also been very good for food waste in many cases with people becoming a lot more conscious about preserving what they they have mm-hmm. so it's, it's very difficult to predict exactly how it will change um, I think it will change I think companies will also be looking at the risk factors so things like uh, staffing I would expect to figure as well and certainly technology and automation might play a part in that uh, certainly when we've looked at our business confidence survey that we did for the first quarter of 2020 with um, FDF members, Mm. a lot of them were flagging that despite the very difficult situations and obviously the squeeze on send, that they would be looking at uh, technology as a potential solution for for this year for for various issues. So I think it it will change behaviour, I think it will change consumer behaviour, I think it will change how companies operate. But I think possibly some of that might be linked to the the wider sort of uh, social picture as well. Really interesting to hear you say that, Nikki. And actually, in a minute, we're going to come on to talking about innovation, technology, digital tech, and the role this has to play, you know, in food and drink manufacturing moving forward. But before we do, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about kind of supply chain, supply chain resilience. I wonder if you could talk at all about, you know, some of the things that FTMs are doing to improve the resilience of their supply chains. I mean, have you seen much nearshoring or anything like this at all? So a lot of the work the companies did ahead of the EU exit, I think has stood them in really good stead for knowing much more uh, about the supply chains, where the pinch points are, that sort of thing. I think also previous food safety incidents, such as as Hall's meet a few years ago, I think it's about seven or eight years ago now, made companies look very critically at how their supply chains operate. And Mm -hmm. possibly some of them came to the realisation they didn't know as much about them as they, they needed to. Um, So I think companies have done an awful lot on that. Um, I think, you know, there's more to do, you know, sort of where your ingredients are sourced from, you know, sort of how you get your product. I think also some of the supply chains around not necessarily the food itself, but sort of things like packaging. Um, Certainly as we came into the COVID crisis, um, there were concerns about uh, retaining supply of packaging, that sort of thing. So I I think, you know, generally, I think most companies are now pretty well geared up to to being much more challenging around their supply chains. And I think certainly the current situation that we're in with COVID, I think they'll be even more so going forward. 
Interesting, really, really interesting stuff. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it could, again, be in all those silver linings for food and drink manufacturers for the industry that they are, you know, more stable and secure moving forward. And obviously, I think that any business's strategy has to move towards stability, security, and prosperity, right? So really yeah, interesting. That's right, yeah. Great. So I wonder now if, yeah, we could kind of pivot and talk a little bit about innovation, technology, digital, and the role that, you know, you kind of see this playing today in FDM, but also moving forward into the future. Yes, certainly. I mean, food and drinks are a really innovative sector. We launch about 8,000 products a year as a, as a sector. And I think even with um, some of the things that we're going through now and last year when, when companies were, were trying to adapt for EU exit, we didn't see much reduction in that. Companies were still um, still looking for sort of new solutions, developing new products, launching new brands, that sort of thing. So we didn't see much of a, a downturn in, in that sort of thing. I think there probably is much more emphasis placed on how things like digital solutions can help them, both sort of in factory, um, around sort of you know equipment, different ways of doing things, that sort of thing, but also on the sort of data capture side of things, how they can know more about their audience, that, that sort mm-hmm. of side of it. There's quite a lot of work goes on with food and drink manufacturers, with uh, universities and research establishments as well. And FDF itself has actually just created a, a new role within the organisation, an innovations executive that, whose work will be on matching companies with, with sources of funding and, and that sort of thing. Um, so it's always been very, very in, innovative as a sector. I think in some cases we have lagged behind Europe. Traditionally, um, things like automation, um, possibly a little bit slower to respond. But I think, again, once you see particular crises, pressure points like we're going through at the moment, again, I think companies will be looking to see what else they can do differently that maybe is more efficient, more cost effective, removes the reliance on any sort of risk factors such as um, access to labour, that sort of thing. Many of our larger companies are obviously very highly automated at the moment. They're using the latest solutions. Some of the smaller ones, by and large, possibly have got some way to go on that. But then you do see some, some small businesses that are very innovative and they're sort of grasping the latest inventions and, and looking yeah, yeah. for sort of what's new and how they can do things differently. So I think as a sector, it's something that people are coming to understand much more. And certainly at FDF, we've been trying to, to help our members understand that through some of our partnerships with uh, technology companies um, so we have uh, Siemens, ABB, um, Omron, a number of those companies in, in membership who have previously been working with our members um, on some projects so yeah I think as a sector it's something that will be embraced even more and it's probably even more under the spotlight when these situations as, as we are now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so interesting to hear you say as well and again you know when you said about kind of automation earlier and I was talking to an MD for one of the big technology companies, a UK MD, weeks ago, and he was kind of pointing to the fact that China had been able to rebound so much faster than the rest of the world from their experience with COVID nineteen. I think there are loads of you know factors that go into play there. I mean, obviously, the situation is very different at societal level and and upwards. But I think that the point he was making is very interesting. That you know, China has already gone through the mass adoption of automation. And these kinds of technologies, even though they've got one of the cheapest workforces in the world, whereas, you know, we haven't yet gone through that. So actually, there's a lot of boots on the ground doing the work that's maybe affected our ability to rebound from COVID-19 productivity levels, this kind of thing. So I wonder in some ways if 
you know, this will be a catalyst for increased adoption of digital technology and, and, you know, more kind of appetite for it as well. I mean, it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying there. Yes, yeah, I think that that probably will be the case. Some processes within the food and drink sector are not very easy to automate, possibly less so than, than other sectors. And certainly you're seeing this sort of issue in the agricultural sector where they're still very reliant on picking labour and, and that sort of thing. In some cases, certain solutions don't exist. But I think there's certainly the, the appetite for, for moving forward with things wherever they can. And um, certainly most of our bigger companies are, are well up there in terms of their, their innovation with any of the other UK sectors. And I think this, like you say, probably will focus companies on, on looking how they can rebound better. Mm, really interesting stuff. Okay, and, and so on the subject of, of innovative technologies, obviously I'm a little bit biased because of the work we do here at Chai. You know, I've got a particular interest in AI and, and data. I don't know if you can AI. talk about the perception of AI wow. in the drink industry, or the way people you know view it. Is it actually seen as something that can add value, or is it seen as just another one of these fad technologies that you know will have its moment and then go off into the sunset? It's certainly something I, you know, can't give you very detailed answers about sort of what particular companies are doing, obviously. But, uh, I, you know, it's certainly something that's, um, that's being talked about and, uh, and developed. And I, I don't get any sense that anybody's sort of looking at any of this sort of thing as a, as a fad as such. I think possibly, you know, with the, the usual sort of limitations of uh, funding that a lot of these sort of projects tend to have a very long tail. You know, obviously all sort of usual re- regions or around technical projects, that sort of thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not getting any sense that companies are considering it a fad at all, no. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. That's uh, very brilliant. pleasing. That's, uh, very and I guess, you know, the last thing for me, that it's been a really interesting conversation so far. Do you, do you have any other kind of last bits of specific advice or key insight that you'd like to share with members out there? You know, I don't know if you can talk about... Any advice for specifically kind of the small, medium-sized businesses and then you know, the larger players? Because I guess it's going to be quite different. Yes, yeah, it is. Certainly around the, the smaller companies, what we're seeing in terms of the, the COVID response is more concerns around finances. Yeah. Um, so I think in, in terms of the smaller members, look at what your options are, select carefully which ones are, are right for you, talk to your bank, talk to anybody that can provide you with advice on, on what's best to to do long term. Uh, as I said, some companies are already um, considering whether the loan schemes are right for them, whether taking on more debt at the current time is, is right for them. Yes. Um, so I think um, probably around financing for, for some of the smaller companies as well. Larger companies, again, things are, are going to change for them. Uh, you know, they, they might sort of be looking at what categories they might be able to move into, that sort of thing. But again, with the smaller companies, a lot very focused on the out-of-home sector. They'll probably be looking to see where they can go from that. I think the most important thing actually for all of the companies, irrespective of size, and I say irrespective of sector even, is taking your workforce with you. Mm. Um, One of the things that we've seen um, throughout this has been the level of collaboration between employers and their employees in implementing things such as the social distancing, um, continuing to work, that sort of thing. Uh, I think the level of trust between the, the employer, whether you're a large company or a smaller company, will be pretty paramount to uh, coming through this and, and rebounding that stronger. Interesting stuff. Really, really interesting stuff. Okay. I think that, you know, from my side, that's everything. I feel like it's been a really interesting conversation. And I guess for any FDMs out there, if they're not already a member of the Food and Drink Federation, they need to be. 
and they need to go to fdf.org.uk to join the other 300 members right in the UK. Uh, and if anyone's got any kind of specific, you know, questions or that they want specific advice, can they come to you for, for any kind of insight and help, you and your team? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I should have said, actually, when uh, when you said, what what do you suggest? I should have said, join FDF. <laughs> <laughs> but, right, I did it for you. Luck. Um, <laughs> but no, in, in all seriousness, um, uh, our website has got, uh, certainly for COVID, has got information for both members and non-members on there, uh, www.fdf.org.uk. And non-members can also inquire into our COVID response inbox with any questions that they might have around the, the pandemic. And longer term, we focus on all sorts of issues relevant to food and drink manufacturers. So um, food safety and science, technical and regulatory, international trade, sustainability, mm. innovation. We cover just about every area that's anything to do with food and drink manufacturing. So yeah, if you've got a query, please please get in touch with us. Brilliant. Nikki, thank you so much for making the time to talk to me today. I really enjoyed the conversation. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day. That's okay. Thank you very much. So that's it for today. As always, please do get in touch if you feel like you've got something different to say and you'd like to come on the podcast as a future guest. If you've also got any themes, topics, or people you'd like us to interview in future episodes, again, let me know. My email address is jake at chai-uk.com. If you enjoyed Time for Chai, I'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Today's podcast was produced by Alejandro Giron of Giron & Co Podcasting Services. Special thanks to my colleagues Stephen Butler, Chris Evans and Marcus Dixon. It was written and hosted by myself, Jake Jacobs. Have a great week. See you next time.